Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. My name is Abby, thank you so much for tuning in and listening this week. So if you're new to the podcast, we usually have episodes Monday and Thursdays. This week, I missed the Monday. I had gotten sick last week with a whole stomach thing and I just like laid there for three days and my podcast prep was not quite ready for Monday. So I didn't do the Saturday Bible um, like bonus podcast and I didn't do it on Monday. Technically, I only wanted to miss like three podcasts this entire year. So, you know, I'll count that as two to my record and just try to really be good the rest of the year. So um, we are doing a Thursday series where we are going through each state in the order that they join the union. And this week's state is Pennsylvania. So they were second to join the union. Last week we went over Delaware, who was the first. And this honestly has really, really made me want to go to Pennsylvania. There's so much history here. There's so much just like American, uh, great things have happened in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia specifically. So let's get into the history of Pennsylvania. Let's start off with some quick facts about Pennsylvania before we get into the history and the story about how Pennsylvania kind of came to be. So first of all, I looked up why is it named Pennsylvania? Now, the man who was granted the charter for the land that is now Pennsylvania is named William Penn. So it's easy to come to the conclusion that it must be named after him. It is and it isn't. It was named after William Penn, but it was actually named in honor of William Penn's father, who was also named William Penn. Um, And we'll get into that during the history part, but William Penn, the one who colonized the land, so the original Penn's son, um, he was really afraid that people would think he named it after himself, when in actuality, the king named it Pennsylvania like in honor of William Penn's father, William Penn. It gets very confusing when they're both the same name, but William Penn seemed like a really nice guy, the guy who uh, made the colony there. And he was very, he didn't want people to think that he was so self-centered that he named it after himself. He wanted it to just be named Sylvania, which means woods. So... Um, Okay, so the capital is Harrisburg, which is actually not even close to the most populated city there. It's like, I think, the 13th most populous city in Pennsylvania. Um, So I always kind of thought that the capital was either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. And for a long time, the capital was Philadelphia, and then it got moved to Harrisburg. The state motto is virtue, liberty, and independence, which is very fitting for a state that has so much historical, like American history. Um, So that's pretty fitting. The nickname is the Keystone, Keystone State. So it was the middle colony of the original 13 colonies. And so the idea of the Keystone Keystone State is that is kind of like the the cornerstone or the kind of stronghold that our 
keeping the 13 colonies together. So it was very important throughout the early colonial days um, in America. The state song is just called Pennsylvania, so <laughs> very uh, simple and straight to the point. The population, there's just over 13 million people as of 2020, the 2020 census. Um, there are 67 counties in Pennsylvania, so this is a much, much bigger state than Delaware, which we did last week that has three counties. Just to compare, uh, Pennsylvania has 67. And the largest county is Philadelphia County. There's 1.5 million people in that county. So geography, let's go over a little bit about the geography. It's the 33rd largest state. So it's not huge in comparison to some of the Western states that got more broken up into huge land masses. The East Coast has smaller states, but it is still pretty big compared to the surrounding states. It's 312 miles by 158 miles. It's more square uh, than a lot of those East Coast uh, states. Its highest point is Mount Davis, which is about 3,200 feet in elevation. Um, again, a lot of those East Coast states really don't have a ton of elevation gain, but um, so 3,200 feet is the high watermark there. It is 46,000 square miles and Forest, the percentage of forested land I thought was really interesting. I don't necessarily picture Pennsylvania as forested. I mostly think of it as like Amish country that's flat and open, like not barely any trees. But I guess I'm wrong because 58.9% of the land area is forested land, it says. So I thought that was very interesting. The climate, it says it can get very uh, cold, deep winters, and very warm summers. So not a great place to live if you don't love winter. Um, and then the other kind of fun fact is that Philadelphia, the you know most populous city, was named Philadelphia because that is the combination of two Greek words. One meaning philio, which meant love, or which means love, and one is Adelphus, which means brother, which combined into Philadelphia means, or that's where it gets uh, the nickname, the city of brotherly love. Okay, let's talk about how Pennsylvania came to be, how the state was formed, and how William Penn ended up getting this land to settle in. So to do that, we have to go back to England, where, you know, England was trying to expand its power as a global leader and trying to colonize the Americas. So after a lot of drama with the monarchy for a period of time, King Charles II ascended the throne. And one of the first things he wanted to do was solidify England's power and expand their power. So part of that was the restoration of colonies. Now, some of the colonies had already been settled by other groups like the Dutch. And so part of his goal was to go take back control of those. Um, and we'll talk about those colonies when we get to those states. One of them is New Jersey, so um, those will be covered. But for Pennsylvania, this land was not yet claimed by any Europeans or by the English. So King Charles and his heirs started buying claims of the Native Americans living in that region. Now, all of present-day Pennsylvania, except for the northwestern third of Pennsylvania, was purchased 
from the tribes that were living there. And William Penn created the colony of Pennsylvania in 1681. So it was about 20 years between when King Charles II ascended to the throne and uh, when William Penn actually started settling in the Americas. So, um, King Charles II gave out this English charter to William Penn. This is how the colon uh, colonies worked at that time for England. He would give these land charters to an individual or a small group or a family to go kind of be the heads of this colony. So the reason why William Penn got this land charter was because his father, who this was named after, also named William Penn, uh, was owed a lot of money by King Charles II. Now, this family um, was a member of the upper-class nobility. His dad had done a lot for the king, and the king was uh, in debt to William Penn's father, William Penn. <laughs> so he had a lot of money that he lent to the king, and so this was the king's way of repaying the Penn family is by giving them control of the Pennsylvania land charter. Now, the reason also that William Penn was even interested in coming over there was because he was a member of the Society of Friends or the Quakers. Now, that is kind of a, an offshoot of Protestants, and they were getting uh, persecuted at the time in England because the Church of England was the major church at the time, and they did not like Quakers. They rejected the rituals, they rejected these oaths that were part of the Church of England, and they opposed war. So they were not getting a lot of religious freedom rights in England, and so a bunch of Quakers came over to America and settled in Pennsylvania for freedom, for religious freedom. So the whole purpose of the colony was to be a safe haven for Quakers to be able to practice their religion. Now, all seemed well and good. Um, William Penn and the group of Quakers got there, and William Penn had a very large focus on good relations with the Native Americans that were already there. So it was a pretty peaceful transition of power, or a peaceful transition of land, because William Penn's whole thing as like a Quaker and a pacifist and all of this was not to push out the Native Americans, but it was to pay them a fair price for the land. And so for a long time while William Penn was alive, they were friends. The two groups were friends. The English settlers and the Native Americans were friendly towards each other. The Native Americans would like show them around and basically uh, serve as almost a tour guide of like how to live in this land. And so there were good relations for a long time while William Penn was alive. But eventually that relationship kind of deteriorated because, well, there were multiple reasons. Some were diseases that they brought and some were, let's see, there were some other ones. Some of them was just miscommunications because of language differences and things like that. But the main reason was because once William Penn died, he left the land in charge, uh, he left the all of it, like the leadership, up to his two sons, and his two sons were not about 
this fair trade of land. They just wanted to push west. So they ended up making very terrible land deals and trying to swindle these Native Americans out of their money and their land and stuff like that in this big push to expand more west. So from what I have researched and what I've read, everything went pretty smoothly under William Penn. It's not until he died and gave this leadership position to his sons that things really started going south. Okay, so this this charter for William Penn was signed on March 4th in March 4th, 1861. Again, the king named the colony after William Penn's father, William Penn, and the original capital was Philadelphia. It originally only had three counties, um, but again, now as a state, it has expanded to 67. Okay, so when Penn um, landed there, and well, even before he landed there, he decided to start drafting these things called frames of government. So when he landed in 1682 with these this group of Quakers, his first kind of move as a leader was to call a general assembly and discuss the first frame of government and to adopt the great law. So this guaranteed freedom of conscience and then accorded fair treatment to Native Americans. Again, he was very, very focused on fair treatment. If there was going to be a land deal, they were going to pay a fair price and just treat that like the Native American tribes there with respect. So Penn sought peace with the Lenape, I think I'm saying that right, Lenape, uh, Native Americans who lived there. And they signed the treaty of, I'm not going to say this right, Shackamaxon. That was in 1682, and that formalized the purchase of land and declared peace between the two groups. Now again, when Penn died, he gave control of the land to his two sons, and they started selling parts of the land without consent from the local tribes. So before that, they would say, okay, this, these settlers want this land. We're going to pay the tribes, and we'll sell it. Well, these two sons just started selling land to new settlers without even consulting the tribes as outlined in the treaty. Eventually, uh, colonial officials called on the Iroquois, who, um, who was another, they were another tribe who were prominent in the area, and they basically allied with them and forced them to help remove the Lenape from the land in 1741 so that the colonies could spread, or the, uh, the colonizer, wait, the settlers, I guess, could expand west. So eventually, a lot of the Native Americans just exp um, expanded west or migrated west and left the region into like Ohio area. Okay, so also a big thing that is happening at this time is the other part of Pennsylvania that wasn't claimed by England was claimed by the French, and as time went on, the Indians became more hostile to the expansion of European settlements, and so in 1754, between 1754 and 1763, the French and the Indian War happened, and a lot of that fighting took place in Pennsylvania. It was also in Pennsylvania that the English general Edward Braddock suffered defeat at the hands of the French and allied tribes. Now, I had always thought that the French and Indian War was 
the French fighting the Indians, but it was them allied together against the English. Um, okay, and then after that war was over, after all these conflicts, there was just growing dissatisfaction about British rule in the colonies. Again, like this is what partly what led to the Revolutionary War where, you know, Britain was so far away and yet they were under British rule. They thought it was unfair. The proclamation of 1763, which helped end the French and Indian War, limited the expansion west to appease the Indians, but Pennsylvanians just pressed west over the mountains. And again, this is like when Penn is dead, the sons have taken over. And so they just pressed west and they kind of ignored any British um, proclamations that limited their expansion. Okay, then the Articles of Confederation were established, um, well, they established the new government in 1781, uh, and that is, you know, after the start of the Revolutionary War in 1776, so that all happens. Pennsylvania, again, is like a center point in all of this political happenings, and so that's where the Articles of Confederation were written. Once the Articles of Confederation were written and there was this new government established, Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Emancipation Act of 1781 was passed. Now, this is a document and a proclamation that pledged the gradual abolition of slavery throughout Pennsylvania. So as we're getting closer and closer to the Revolutionary War, um, Pennsylvania was like continue to be one of the major hubs of the military, economic, and political activity. The First and Second Continental Congresses both met in Philadelphia. The Declaration of Independence was signed there. And then after the war, the city became the capital of the Confederation and of the U.S. government. So that is before uh, Philadelphia, or before Pennsylvania was actually considered a state. Now, technically, it was it was a state um, under the Articles of Confederation, but the actual state date um, is only once the Constitution was signed. What made it a state was the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. So that was in 1787, and. It became a state on December 12th, 1787. So, Phil or, oh, I keep saying Philadelphia, but Pennsylvania and I are birthday twins. My birthday is December 12th, and that is also Pennsylvania's birthday. <laughs> it became a state only five days after Delaware, so it is narrowly the second state. Delaware's state motto is the first state <laughs> because it's very proud that it was first, but it was only first by five days. So... The U.S. Constitution was written, drafted, or was drafted, and then ratified by each state. So there's a few states in here that, in very quick succession, uh, voted, ratified it, and became states. So it was December 12th, 1787. Then there's also a state constitution that was adopted in 1790. And right after it became a state, a priority was put on infrastructure. So there were road improvements, canals built, um, farm equipment was mechanized, and there was a railroad, like a lot of building of railroads. Which all of this uh, investment and focus on infrastructure really led uh, Philadelphia 
in the 1800s to become a leader in industrial production. They were huge in manufacturing. At one point during this time, they were the largest manufacturer of textile weaving. There were tons of textile manufacturers. They also were huge in like steamships and warships that were manufactured in Philadelphia. And they also became a huge oil refinery center and storage center. So the Industrial Revolution was huge for Philadelphia and in particular, um, well, I meant to say Pennsylvania, but in particular, Philadelphia. So Philadelphia is really the hub. It has the most population. It was really the center of the manufacturing. And um, but it was decided that the state capital was to be moved from Philadelphia to Harrisburg in 1812. Okay, so it's just chugging along doing its whole manufacturing thing. There's a lot of industry in uh, Pennsylvania. And then in 1861, the Civil War starts. Now remember, Pennsylvania plays a big part in the Civil War because their southern border is that dividing line between the north and the south in the war. It's the it's the line that separates the Union from the Confederates. So for that reason alone, it is pretty important. The Battle of Gettysburg is in uh, Pennsylvania, and that is where a decisive victory was won for the Union. And um, you know that was kind of that was in 1863, so like mid Civil War. But it was a key turning point in the war, and um, that's where the Gettysburg Address was given. So after the war is over, there's lots of economic growth. Um, it's the second most populous state for a long time until well into the 20th century, this says. And the industry started expanding overseas. So again, they were into manufacturing. That was a big part of their economy. As that started to expand overseas, it brought a lot of immigrants from Germany and South America. So that led to a lot of, you know, many kind of immigrant culture neighborhoods. There were a lot of Latin America and South American neighborhoods throughout Pennsylvania. Okay, in 1884, Milton Hershey opened the Hershey Chocolate Company or founded the Hershey Chocolate Company in Derry Township, Pennsylvania. Now, he was a confectioner for a very long time before that, but chocolate wasn't really invented or popularized really until the very late 1800s, which I didn't realize before. I forgot chocolate was invented, really. Like, I, I kind of just think of chocolate as always being around. But it was invented in the 1800s, and Hershey's chocolate was first sold in 1895. Um, it was made just in small batches until the Hershey Chocolate Factory was completed in 1905. So now Hershey is a huge deal in Pennsylvania. There's like a Hershey Street and they have, you know, a decent amount of land there with their factory and it's a big boost to that economy. But back then it had just been founded in uh, like late 1800s. Another cool thing about the history of Pennsylvania is the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania, which at the time that it was uh, created and and up and running, which was the early 1900s, that was the only college in the world at the time that trained female physicians. There was not another women's college for physicians 
in the world. So education was a big focus in Pennsylvania. There was a lot of higher education um, establishments there. In 1903, the Pittsburgh Pirates were in the very first World Series against the Boston Americans, and that was held in Pittsburgh. But sadly, Boston won. So if you're a Boston Red Sox now fan, they won the very first World Series, but Pittsburgh uh, did compete against them in the very first one. That was in 1903. In 1952, Jonas Salk um, developed the polio vaccine at the University of Pittsburgh. So I remember, you know, this was a huge, I mean, I don't remember it, but I remember my grandma talking about it, how she would pray for a cure to polio. And this guy, I want to do a full podcast episode on him because he is amazing. He didn't take any money for his discovery of the polio vaccine, and he first tested it on himself and his family. So that seems very risky, but it turned out great, and it drastically brought the polio uh, numbers down from, I think, 26,000 to, like, just a couple years later, only 6,000. Um, and obviously, the distribution of vaccines was harder back then, so it took a lot longer, but it made a huge difference in the polio epidemic. Also, this is a side note, but I've been watching this show. It's been around for a long time. I'm just first discovering it now. Uh, it's called Call the Midwife. I'm also reading the book, and they touch on polio in that show. And, you know, the doctor's son in that show was in the iron lungs and his legs got damaged because of it. And I'm just like very thankful that this polio vaccine was discovered and invented because polio seems like a terrible, terrible, terrible disease. And I'm just so glad that we have advanced medically a lot and that this was discovered and this guy did not take any money from the polio vaccine because he just wanted to help people so what a pure soul jonas salk was or salk um so but that was invented at the university of pittsburgh and then um yeah so manufacturing has always been a pretty big part of pennsylvania's history it started to decline a little bit in 19 the 1960s and uh through the 80s because of the kind of moving it overseas but still a big part of pennsylvania and um yeah i really really want to go to pennsylvania to see all of these very huge historical places in america's history so that is the history in a nutshell, but let's go over some of just the state symbols. Again, this is like my favorite part of researching states is the state symbols. Um, so the state bird is called the ruffed grouse. And this is a brown chicken-like bird. It gets its name from the black ruffs on the side of its neck. It was an important part of the food supply for the early settlers, and it's still a very familiar sight in Pennsylvania forests today. So I never heard of this, but it is a very popular bird in Pennsylvania. The state dog is the Great Dane because William Penn had a Great Dane, and they're used as great hunting and working dogs. Great Danes are obviously very, very big, and so they were put to work in the early settling days of Pennsylvania, 
there is actually still a portrait of William Penn and his Great Dane that hangs in the governor's reception room in the Pennsylvania capital. So Great Danes are very, very important to the settling of Pennsylvania. The state fish is the brook trout. Now, this is the only trout species native to Pennsylvania. So if you're a fisherman, you know, that's a good one to, <laughs> to try to catch. And there are 4,000 miles of cold water streams throughout Pennsylvania. And this trout can be found in all of those cold water streams. Their state animal is a white-tailed deer. Their state amphibian, which I don't think every state has a state amphibian, but theirs is called the Eastern Hellbender. Now, it's the largest salamander in North America, and it can only survive in clean water. Its population is declining, and so this was declared the state amphibian to bring attention to conservation efforts. Their state insect is the firefly. Uh, there's a ton of them that you can see in the summers. Their state flower is the mountain laurel, which is an evergreen shrub native to the eastern United States. It's white and pink. It's star-shaped, and you can find a ton of them in Pennsylvania. Their tree, state tree, is the eastern hemlock. It is very slow-growing. It lives a long time. Very pretty tree. The fruit... It's said that the fruit was an apple, and it's been proposed a bunch of times, but it hasn't actually passed yet. So it's like widely considered the state fruit, but it's not official. Uh, Pennsylvania has a state firearm, which is the Pennsylvania Long Rifle, for pretty obvious reasons. It's called, it has Pennsylvania in the name. It's used for hunting and security among the early settlers. Again, very instrumental in the early history of the state, which is why it has been adopted as the state firearm. And then since Pennsylvania was also pretty big on agriculture and, you know, livestock, its beverage, its state beverage is milk, which I thought was kind of funny. So, if you go to Pennsylvania, make sure you somewhere get a glass of milk <laughs> and some apples because while that is not officially the state fruit, I hope it gets adopted soon. It keeps getting proposed, so I really hope um, that becomes a thing. Okay, famous people from Pennsylvania. When I was looking at famous people from Delaware, I didn't know pretty much any of them other than Joe Biden, who wasn't even actually born in Delaware. He just moved there. Um, but when I looked at Pennsylvania, I knew almost everyone on this list. Let me just run off a few of these. Kobe Bryant, Taylor Swift, Will Smith, Kevin Hart, Grace Kelly, Tina Fey, Joe Montana, Pink, Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women, Jeff Goldblum, Michael Keaton, and Daniel Boone all born in Pennsylvania. Then they also claim Benjamin Franklin as like a basically a Pennsylvanian, even though he was not born in Pennsylvania, he was born in Boston, but he moved there, he lived there, and Pennsylvania likes to claim him <laughs> as a Pennsylvanian. Okay, and then I also like to look up some attractions that you should go see or could go see if you visit Pennsylvania. There is a lot, like I said, and like we went over in this history, there are a lot of very important landmarks that were instrumental in the formation of the United, oops, excuse me, the United States. And so 
there's a long list of attractions that I could list off, but I've gathered a few that I thought were very interesting sounding. So first of all, the Hershey Gardens. This is like a full garden experience because Milton Hershey, who founded the Hershey Company, his great-grandfather had bought all these plots of land beforehand, you know, before the chocolate company was even a thought in the mind, before chocolate was even invented. But he bought all this land, and so the Hershey Gardens are that land that he bought, and it looks very cool and very pretty. So if you want a very pretty place to visit, go to the Hershey Gardens. There's also Gettysburg, which is the National Military Park. Uh, this is where the battle happened. The Gettysburg Address uh, was given. So very important to the Civil War. There's also a very heavy Amish population in Pennsylvania, which kind of goes along with the whole agriculture uh, thing. So there's a cute little Amish farm and house that you can go to where you can like take a tour and see kind of get into that Amish lifestyle for the day, um, which really shows you kind of the other side of Pennsylvania life. Because if you go to Philadelphia, it seems like there's like the hustle and bustle, very modern city, but there's also this whole other part of the state, which is the kind of Amish side. And so you can see both. The Liberty Bell is in Pennsylvania. Um, that's obviously very important to uh, the history of the United States. I'm going to do a full episode or probably multiple on the Revolutionary War. So we'll go over that kind of thing. Um, then there is the Washington Crossing Historic Park, which you can see a reenactment of George Washington's Christmas uh, Crossing and Assault on Trenton. They reenact the entire thing, so you really get into it. There's also... Um, historic downtown York, which is where the Second Continental Congress adopted the Articles of Confederation, which would be really cool to visit. There is th this place called the Dobbin House Tavern, which is an underground railroad hideout. It was a former underground railroad stop, and it overlooks the site of the Gettysburg Address. So it's kind of a two-for-one. You can see Gettysburg and an underground railroad uh, place. There's the Betsy Ross house. She made the U.S. flag. The Eastern State Penitentiary is the first true penitentiary in the U.S. And Al Capone was held there. So it's now just like a historical landmark that you can go tour. There is Fairmount Park, which takes up 10% of the land in Philadelphia. It's 9,200 acres of a park. It looks beautiful. And then there's Independence Hall, which you can see in the movie National Treasure where they go and, you know, look at the back of the declaration and stuff. So uh, Independence Hall is where they signed the declaration and the constitution. And that is all I have for the state of Pennsylvania. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I will be, I'm definitely going to do a Bible episode this weekend and then um, another topic on Monday. I haven't decided what I'm going to do on Monday yet because this whole Pennsylvania episode really brought up a lot of topics that I want to talk about. I want to learn more about Al Capone. I want to learn more about Quakers. I want to learn more about the Underground Railroad. And I need to do a full history lesson on the Civil War. So there's just, I need to decide what I want to focus on for Monday, but 
There will be an episode Monday. There will be an episode probably Saturday, which is the Bible one. So uh, that is all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you uh, next week. Thanks everyone. Bye.